chapter 9, verse 1. Much of 1 Kings chapter 9 reveals that alongside the building of the temple and all these sacrifices is a king who repeatedly lived outside the covenant law. The emphasis of chapter 9 is a king who constantly violates the covenant law. He literally walked away from the temple in this speech about obedience to God, and if you are disobedient, you'll go into exile, and walked out of the temple and is going to go to all of his wives and his pagan idols and walk blatantly outside the law. The other thing that chapter 10, it's briefly mentioned in chapter 9, but in chapter 10, gold is mentioned a lot. Gold was never mentioned. And what you're going to see is a huge contrast between Solomon's wise administration and now we're going to go into Solomon's forced labor and gold. Over and over again, we saw Solomon living wisely in chapters 4 and 5. And it says that people were content. They all lived under the vine and the fig tree. And life was good. And Solomon was wise. And what he was administrating was wisdom. And what was interesting is that what was kept, the, the, the commodity that was constantly mentioned over and over and over again was grain and animals, which is the very thing that God promised to bless them. The fruits of the field, the fruits of the animal. The commodity in that reign of wisdom was all the blessings of Deuteronomy. The animals of the Garden of Eden and the trees and the crops of the Garden of Eden. That's what's constantly mentioned. Now, post-temple, is constantly mentioned over and over again is forced labor. And the commodity is gold. And that contrast right there shows you that there's a shift in Solomon's heart. Before it was about the abundance of food for the people. That's the other shift. It was all about everyone had all the food that they needed, all the food that they wanted. Now it's all about the gold that Solomon's getting the gold that Solomon's amassing, the gold that Solomon's charging everybody. And now we don't see Solomon obtaining gold because God blessed him with it. We see Solomon obtaining gold because he's seeking it out. And there's a huge shift. And once again, the temple is the pivot. And we saw that because the temple was all about gold and glory. And his palace was about gold and being bigger than the temple. And that's what we see here. Here's a quote from Keith Bodner. And Keith Bodner says this. I think this is a great quote. No monarch in Israelite history surpasses Solomon in the material realm. But it cannot be coincidental that after a detailed inventory of Solomon's hoard of gold and stables full of horses, there is a decisive shift in tone in 1 Kings chapter 11 in terms of the narrative design. There's been a subtle critique in the first 10 chapters that generally hovers below the surface. And even while reporting Solomon's wealth achievements, there are warnings both implicit and explicit. So the point that he's making is that even though the narrator has been mentioning good things about Solomon so far, and he's been doing great things, there's this constant subtle head popping up. Yeah, but he had horses. Yeah, but he married the Egyptian princess. Yeah, he's amassing gold. And this, this 
this disobedient phrase just keeps popping up, sometimes indirectly mentioned, sometimes directly mentioned, but it just keeps being there. Then all of a sudden there's a shift to everything being negative. Daniel Hayes contends that the allusions to Deuteronomy chapter 17 in this chapter and chapter 10 bring the critical appraisal to a crescendo. Deuteronomy 17, remember, is the Deuteronomic regulations for the king. And thus there is a strong evidence to support the view that the narrator is not schizophrenic, praising Solomon for 10 chapters and then suddenly condemning him. Rather, the narrator develops a fascinating but negative critique of Solomon throughout the Solomonic narratives. His critique is subtle, employing irony, word associations, and implicit rather than explicit references to Deuteronomy. First through Second Samuel and the rest of First and Second Kings. After a lengthy delay that must be owing to God's forbearance, judgment, forbearance, judgment now unfolds, and Solomon's infidelities have implications for the entire nation. For those readers who have been mesmerized by their urbane sophistication and seduced by the international delights of the new regime, Solomon may not be the only one unmasked in the next section of the narrative. What he's saying is this, the demon hasn't been clearly seen. It just kind of is hovering in the background out of right in the corner of the peripheral view. It's like watching a horror movie and everything is good. But if you really pay attention to the background, there's this shadow that just keeps hovering. And it gets closer and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, bam, in the second part of the movie, just is right there in your face destroying everything. And what he's saying is a lot of people read the first half as Solomon's awesome, this great godly man. And then all of a sudden the narrator goes like totally anti-Solomon. You're like, where did that come from? And what he's saying is that this unveiling may not just be an eye-opener for Israel who realizes that they truly have become corrupt, but it's an unveiling for the reader who'd miss the shadows in the background. And the narrator's constantly been pointing out the negative shadows there and there and there. And what he's arguing is this. The devil never just shows up in your life and just destroys it instantaneously and it came out of the middle of nowhere. Nobody as a little kid says, I want to grow up and be a a murderer. (laughs) I want to grow up and be a cruel person who constantly slanders people all the time. Nobody makes a decision to wake up and say, I'm going to just insult all my coworkers today. It gradually shows up a little insult here a negative thing there a bitterness there and then it just it goes unchecked and it's in the peripheral of your life and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually it's consuming your life completely and it's destroying lives and there's judgment upon you and the narrator has brilliantly not gone positive and then negative he's shown the gradual growth of sin and now nobody called it out And now it's so blatant and so powerful, nobody can stop it. And it's going to bring the downfall of Israel. It's going to bring the downfall of Israel. After Solomon finished, chapter 9, verse 1, the building of the Yahweh's temple, the royal palace, and all the other construction projects he had planned, he had planned, Yahweh appeared to Solomon a second time in the same way that he appeared to him at Gibeon. And Yahweh said to him, I have answered your prayer and your request for help that you made to me. I have consecrated this temple you built by making it my permanent 
home. I will be constantly present there. You must serve me with integrity, sincerity, just as your father did. Notice that the temple does not secure anything. Even though he says, I have, I've honored your prayer and I will dwell here, symbolically speaking. He goes on and says, but that doesn't secure the blessings of God. Your integrity and your obedience does. Just as your father David did. Do everything I commanded and obey my rules and regulations. Then I will allow your dynasty to rule over Israel permanently, just as I promised your father David. You will not fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. It's almost like saying when he says, just like your father David did, and just like I honored the promises of David. You know, the David who had no temple, the David who was obedient and a man after God's own heart, and I honor my promises to him. It's almost like Paul making the argument, you know how Israel was able to become saved and become righteous before the law was given? Abraham was declared righteous because he believed. It is possible to be righteous without a temple. It's possible to be righteous without a law. But if your sons ever turn away from me, fail to obey the regulations, the rules I've instructed you to keep, and decide to serve and worship other gods, then I will remove Israel from the land I have given them. I will abandon this temple I have consecrated with my presence, and Israel will be mocked and ridiculed among the nations. Now notice that. I will abandon the temple. It will become just a building. And when we get to Ezekiel chapter 1, that's exactly what God's going to do. Jeremiah chapter 7, the people are like, there's no way anything bad can happen to us. The temple is here, and God's here. And then Ezekiel chapter 1, God leaves. And the temple in Israel is destroyed. That's how God answered that problem. I'll just leave. (laughs) This temple will become a heap of ruins. That's God's way of saying, I don't need it. Everyone who passes by it will be shocked and will hiss out of their scorn saying, why did Yahweh do this to the land and this temple? Others will then answer because they abandoned Yahweh their God who led their ancestors out of Egypt. They embrace other gods whom they worship and serve. That is why Yahweh has brought all this disaster down on them. This is what's coming. And then immediately after that, verse 10, after 20 years during which Solomon built Yahweh's temple, the royal palace, King Solomon gave Hiram, the Tyre, 20 cities in the region of Galilee. Because Hiram had supplied Solomon with cedars, evergreens, and all the gold that he wanted. When Hiram went out from Tyre to inspect the cities Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. Hiram asked, why did you give me these cities, my friend? He called that area of the region Kabul. Kabul means worthless, good for nothing. Hiram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold. 120 talents of gold is 9,000 pounds of gold. 9,000. I think a pound of gold goes for around $18,000 right now. That's a lot. Now, here's what's interesting. Do you notice anything here, a problem? What was the original deal between Solomon? What would Hiram do for Solomon? What would Solomon do for Hiram? Solomon, Hiram provide cedar, and Solomon provide what? Food. But also now Solomon is demanding what from Hiram? That's not part of the original deal. Solomon is changing the contract. 
Why? Because he can. He's a more powerful king. So now he's demanding gold. But then he decides to offer him cities. Who gave the cities to Israel? And he didn't give them to Israel. He allowed Israel to live in them. All throughout Deuteronomy, God makes it very clear. This is the land that I am giving you. I am putting you in the land and only I can take you out of the land. And this land is my inheritance to you, but this belongs to me. And every 50 years in the year of Jubilee, whatever land that you've acquired through buys and sales and all that kind of stuff must return back to its original owner so that you will forever remember that the land belongs to Yahweh first and foremost. And I assigned it to the tribes as a gift. You are not allowed to permanently assign the lands to anybody. And yet, what is Solomon doing? Not only is he assigning the land, cities, to somebody else, but it's somebody else who's not even a part of Israel. That is an act of God. Only God created the land in Genesis. And only God pulled Adam, Adam, out of the Adama land. And he put Adam, Adam, over and in the land, Adama, to rule over it. And only God could kick Adam out of the Adama when he sinned. And only God can return Adam back to the Adama in the book of Revelation. And the Bible makes it very clear that is a God and God only thing that you can do. And now Solomon is putting himself in the place of God by taking land that God gave to the people of Israel and he's giving it over to a pagan for gold. This is Esau selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. And then when we get to Ahab, Ahab is going to take land from Nabal, sorry, um, Naboth. He's going to take land from Naboth and take it as his own and kill Naboth in the process. And the prophet is going to come and condemn Ahab to death for taking the inheritance of God away from that family. That is, that whole story of Ahab is the longest story of any king in the entire book of Kings. And the peak of Ahab's sin and how horribly evil he is and why he's going to be killed is him stealing land from somebody. And the narrator intentionally builds up to that as if that is the worst sin you could ever do to somebody. In that context. And that, that cultural context under that covenant. And here Solomon's doing it. But he's not taking it away to give it to an Israelite. He's taking it away to give it to a pagan. And you need to understand, like, if you understand Deuteronomy, this is like, oh my goodness. I can't believe he just did that. This is the most horrific thing you can imagine. But if you don't understand Deuteronomy, it's like, okay, he's trading seeds with golds. People do that all the time. But not in a covenant relationship. And not only that, he gave worthless cities to Hiram. I'll give you my inferior cities. The ones that I see as worthless. The inheritance of God that I see as worthless. We don't need these cities. And Hiram's upset. So not only is he violating the Deuteronomic covenant by giving away land that he's not allowed to give away, 
Not only is he seeing God's inheritance as worthless, but he's also cheating Hiram. That's not a blessing to the world. He just got done praying that God would allow justice to reign in the land. And now he's being unjust. For gold. Verse 15. Here are all the details concerning the work Cruz, King Solomon constricted, conscripted to build Yahweh's temple, his palace, the terrace, and the walls. Now notice that it goes back again to conscripted or forced labor is a better translation. Forced labor. And it emphasizes this. And it mentions all the people. And then it even mentions that there's Canaanites building this. Verse 22, Solomon did not assign Israelites to these work crews. The Israelites served as his soldiers, attendants, officers, charioteers, and commanders of his chariot forces. These men were also in charge of Solomon's work projects, and there was a total of 550 men who supervised the workers. Solomon built the terraces as soon as Pharaoh's daughter moved from the city of David to the palace of Solomon. When you have 550 men supervising work, I think I already mentioned that that's a lot of slaves. It's a lot of forced labor. Three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built for Yahweh, burning incense along with them before Yahweh. He made the temple his official worship place. There were only three times a year that you're required to go to the tabernacle and make sacrifices. So this is probably that implied there. King Solomon also built ships and Ezron and Geber, which is located near Elat in the land of Edom on the shore of the Red Sea. <coughs> What's the significance of him building ships in the Navy? Forbidden. Forbidden. It's the equivalent of collecting horses. You're not allowed of military growth. He's trusting in the Navy rather than God. Hiram sent his fleet and some of his sailors who were well acquainted with the sea to serve with Solomon's men. So they sailed to Ophrah, took from there 420 talents of gold. So now he's got Hiram acting as a pirate for him and going off to other parts of the world to collect gold and bring it back to Solomon. So Hiram has now been reduced from a king who's just providing cedars in equal relationship to now getting the scraps of Solomon in cities and providing him gold. Now he has to go out into the world and collect gold. Now Hiram literally is not doing this, but his resources are. This is the contrast. And everything in this is negative. All of chapter 9 is negative. All of chapter 9 is negative. Remember, we do not walk away from the Bible thinking, wow, that was really negative and depressing. We walk away seeing our own hearts and sin or our own temptations and tendencies being exposed so that we can fall on our knees before God and crucify them and beg for Him to take over and change our hearts so that we don't become a Solomon and God will dwell with us.